Well, good morning, church. So we're going to be back to Matthew chapter 6. Different subject, though. The subject is forgive. Forgive. That's easier said than done, right? When someone has hurt you deeply, then that means that they... They owe you something, okay? Uh, they took something from you, and now, now they owe you something. They have a debt to, towards you. Uh, so e- that means either uh, they're going to make it up to you, right? Or you're going to uh, cause them pain back. You know, the Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And internally, we just, that's how we would like to operate. You know, somebody takes something, then you either make that up to me or I'm going to take something from you. I want to, you to experience the pain that you just caused me to experience. Sin, the Bible kind of uh, illustrates that uh, sin is like money. It's like currency. You know, if somebody come and took your money from you, you would want them to give you that money back, sometimes even with interest, right? Uh, And if they didn't, then you would go hunt them up and demand that they give it back to you. Uh, Sin is, in a lot of senses, like that. Uh, And so there's this scale balancing thing that we expect to happen in our lives. I read a couple of books by Willard Harley, uh, just to kind to help prepare me for counseling. I don't know if anything could help prepare me for counseling uh, people, but, uh, uh, but I read these books a long time ago, His Needs, Her Needs. Maybe you've heard of them. Um, that's one of them. And in the book, he describes or, or explains that each one of us are like a bank, okay? And so I want you to picture yourself as a bank, and everybody in your life has, you know... Uh, has an account in your bank, and every time they do something that makes you feel good, then they have just made a deposit into your love bank. If they've done something to you that made you feel negative in any way, then they just made a withdrawal from your love bank. And so there's these withdrawals and deposits going on all the time in our relationships with people. Sometimes they're just small deposits, and sometimes they're just very small you know, withdrawals, but there's this balancing thing going on in our relationships. Sometimes somebody will deposit a big love, you know, a big amount of love units in your bank. And if they do this consistently, that, that uh, uh, balance just begins to grow, and that really makes a difference on how you feel about that person. If they're really pumping in, you know, the deposits and not withdrawing a whole bunch of love units from you, man, they are like your best buddy. That's who you want to hang out with, right? And what he explains is that when, when op, you know, people of opposite sex come together and they begin to start this relationship with one another and they're constantly depositing love units and not withdrawing, at some point they could get to a place where they reach a romantic threshold, and they begin to have fondness for one another uh, to the point that they could have romantic feelings for one another. When that happens, 
that's when you begin to like get serious about wanting to date. Maybe you know, and you keep putting in those love units, and you you propose, and eventually you get married, right? Because there's so you feel so fond of this person who has been depositing so much into your life in a positive way. Now he talks about this, and I, I just I really like that concept. It just you know, it's easy for me to understand what goes on emotionally with us when it comes to interacting with one another. But he also explains that with that, there's always the danger that somebody's going to come along in your life and they're going to withdraw, you know, large amounts of, you know, these love units out of your bank more than they're putting in. What do you think happens when they are withdrawing more than they are depositing? All of a sudden, you begin to have negative feelings for them. And, and, and you will get to the point where you'll want to separate yourself from them to some extent. But the problem is, is that some relationships you can do that with and some relationships you can't. I mean, if it's just somebody that you see once in a while and you're really fond, with, fond of, then it, it could be that they have withdrawn so many love units and, and, and gave you so many negative feelings that you just want to avoid them. And maybe you can. That's why when you see somebody at Walmart that has done this in your life, right? You, you see them, and all of a sudden, like, well, I'm not going down that aisle right now. You know, I'll just go down this exile. I'll come back around and pick up what I needed in that aisle. We, we just start avoiding them. But what if they're coworkers? And they, they've withdrawn all these love units. And you started having negative feelings for them. It's kind of hard to avoid them. And, and if you, in that situation, if they just keep... Keep withdrawing from your bank. It just the negativity just keeps building and building and building. You just you keep having these negative feelings towards that person. What happens if if you know? So if they're like a coworker or a neighbor, but what happens if you're living with them, like like they're part of your family? You know, he says Willard Harley says that in a marriage, there's more potential of hatred than any other relationship, which is just kind of crazy when you think about it, because when that relationship started, remember how it started? You were pumping in so many love units in that relationship and not withdrawn very many, not in comparison to what you're putting in. And you had this, you, you love this person more than anybody else. You can't think of anybody else that you'd rather spend the rest of your life to. And then he says, but if you start withdrawing units and stop depositing units, you can get to the point where not only are you lost your fondness for them, you could actually have hatred towards them. And we've all seen that, right? At some point in time, we've all seen that if we haven't experienced that, where we just get these, these, this person I, I used to love, I just can't stand anymore. They have just affected me in such a negative way. They owe too much. There's too much debt on their balance. Forgiveness, it's easier said than done. You know? And on, on uh, Credit Karma's website, they talk about debt forgiveness. Have you ever heard of that? That's just where they, you have this debt with this credit card company or this school loan or whatever it would be, right? A mortgage loan, maybe, possibly. Uh, and you enter into this debt forgiveness. Doesn't that sound good? 
on Credit Karma's website, this is what they say about debt forgiveness. And I thought it was kind of interesting because we're kind of talking about this too. I mean, if, if sin is like currency and, and, and there's a debt to be owed, then maybe this would make sense to us as well. But this is what they say about money. It says, debt forgiveness is simple in theory. A lender forgives some or all of the debt you still owe on a loan. But this undeniably appealing concept almost always comes with strings attached. And this is what it says. Before seriously consider debt forgiveness as an option, keep your eyes open and avoid the pitfalls of wishful thinking. Doesn't that seem like it could be applied to relationships as well? I mean, a spouse cheats on another spouse, and that spouse wants to be forgiven, and the other spouse wants to forgive, right? But they're just like, man, I don't know. I I want to. I feel like I need to. But let me tell you something. I bet if they do forgive, there's going to be some strings attached, don't you think? Some things are going to have to change so that we don't go down that, because what they're not going to want to do is just keep getting hurt and keep getting, you know, those negative feelings or what about, you know, some coworker at work starts a rumor about you and deeply, deeply hurt you by that rumor, but you feel compelled to forgive, and you even say that you've let it go. But let me tell you something, I bet there's some strings attached to that relationship now, right? It says, seriously, before seriously considering debt forgiveness as an option, keep your eyes open and avoid the pitfalls of wishful thinking. You know, the Bible makes this comparison with understanding forgiveness and seeing it that, that sin and forgiveness and debt is kind of like you have, these words are all intertwined. Jesus has a debt forgiveness program. Did you know that? Like, like this program where he wants to forgive everyone's debt. That's the plan. He offers it. He talks about it in his prayer, and that's why we're in Matthew chapter 6 again. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 9, this is where we were, 9 and 10 is where we were for several weeks. You will remember it. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And remember, we, we focused just on those two verses along with a whole bunch of other stuff, but, but just to try to help us have the mindset of the kingdom, you know, God, help us not to lose track of what we're supposed to be about, and that is your kingdom. A little bit further, two verses down, this is what he says about forgiveness. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what is he talking about? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors? Did, did we owe Jesus some money that we've forgotten about? Did, does Jesus want us to forgive somebody else's, you know, money debt that they have against us no he's not talking about money he's talking about sin isn't he he's talking about trespasses he's talking about things that people do that has deeply hurted you and has put them in debt in your bank and this is what he says in verse 14 he says and if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you But listen here to the strings attached. Oftentimes, when forgiveness 
enters in, it just seems like there has to be strings attached. It is with Jesus too. This is what he says. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus offers this, this debt forgiveness. How much debt do you have towards Jesus? How much have you offended him? How much trespassing, how much sinning have you done against him? What he's saying is, I'll forgive all that. But, and then in a little, you know, fine print down to the bottom, it says, but if you will forgive others that have sinned against you. And if you, and in that fine print, if you don't forgive others that have sinned against you, guess what? All of that debt is back now on your, your books. That's what he says. But it's still a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? You know, I mean, it still seems pretty sweet to think that we could have all of ours forgiven. Doesn't he know, though, that it's hard to forgive? I mean, we get that Jesus has the majority to forgive. But doesn't he know how much pain that we had to endure and how wounded we are I want, I want to walk through how he took care of our debt a little bit. And I'm getting some help here from a doctor, a physician, who um, uh, just did a study on the last 12 to 18 hours of Jesus' life. He just went through the scriptures and as, you know, from the mindset of a physician trying to help us kind of understand maybe what was going on. And so I'm going to read through a little bit of this with you. He says, following the Last Supper, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He poured out his distress to the Father as he went through a deep spiritual struggle. Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The physician goes on to say, he says, The loss of this blood and sweat would create the beginning stages of dehydration. And an angel appeared at that point and gave Jesus strength in verse 43. Jesus was then arrested and faced a trial sometime after midnight. He was led away with his hands bound, the same hands that healed the sick. Luke chapter 22, verse 63, tells us that Jesus was blindfolded and beaten while the soldiers mocked him. He then faced a second trial with more illegal proceedings. Jesus is now exhausted by lack of sleep, abuse, Loss of fluids and ridicule. Have you, ever, have you ever seen anybody suffer? Silly question, right? Of course you've seen people suffer. In fact, it'd be my guess that what comes to your mind if you think about people suffering and the pain, and if, you, if you're really getting down to it, it's probably when somebody caused you pain and caused suffering in your life, right? Those are the ones that creep in the most often, or the ones that we have caused somebody else pain or grief. You know, later, when you get later in life, you think back often about the things that you did or said or, or caused the pain, caused scars in other people's lives, and there's just this sense of regret. You know, uh, the PTSD issues are usually associated with either us seeing somebody suffer or 
us suffering or somebody suffering at, at our hands. I mean, it's something that's got to do with us personally experiencing suffering and pain and loss. This debt in our lives. He goes on to say, in an attempt to appease the people, Pilate had Jesus scourged. This was not something that was ordinarily done as part of the crucifixion. Roman law allowed the prisoner to be beaten to the point of death as, a measure, as measured by the rapidly increasing pulse and irregular respiratory rate. These whips had a small piece of metal attached to the end and would chip and gouge out pieces of bone and tissue. His skin would be stripped into long, ribbon-like segments, causing profound arterial bleeding. A crown crown of six-inch-long thorns was then uh, pressed deeply into his scalp. This would cause additional blood loss, which would deepen his state of shock. The purple robe was thrown across Jesus' shoulders and back. This may have served as temporary compression dressing, helping to um, clog the, the blood pouring from his gaping lesions. The mocking surrounded by the soldiers as they spit on him and beat him with reeds and hailing him as king of the Jews. You know, sometimes people suffer just because people are ignorant. You know, Sherry lost her dear cat this last Tuesday. She got ill, really ill. She's been uh, declining for a long time. And, but anyway, she had to go have her put down. And, and Sherry and I were talking about this. 23 years old, I think. Is 20? Okay, 20 years old. And uh, anyway, we were talking about that, but we were, it led to a conversation that we were just having about a bad experience that both of us had with a vet. And, uh, and somebody else that I know had this similar experience. And we were just talking about, man, I, we would just not ever take our, our pet back to that place. And the whole thing is, is it's not that that vet doesn't have a, a sincere love for animals. She, she, she wouldn't even have, you know, a, uh, be in it if it wasn't for that, right? But we just had a really bad experience. And, and it just, the thing is, is that sometimes we're just not good at some things. Sometimes we just do things just out of ignorance. Um, just don't have the skill. You know, there's a little bit of that going on here in the sense that Jesus says this on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they what? They know not what they're doing. They, they do not have a clue what's going on. Jesus has given this crossbeam to bear to the place of this, the skull of Golgotha. Thankfully, someone in the list to help carry the piece of uh, slivered timber that would weigh up to 100 pounds. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33, he says, gives a very brief statement about the crucifixion. In fact, in the Greek, only three words were used to describe it. We know more about the specifics from how the Romans recorded the gory details. 
When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. They placed Jesus in the middle cross to signify that of the three, he was the most worthy of death. Definitely showing their ignorance. Surely we're over the ignorant part of this whole thing, aren't we? According to Roman historians, he says, it was very common for those who were crucified to utter blasphemies and words of wrath towards those who were involved in the execution. Seneca, the contemporary of Jesus, recounts that those crucified would normally curse everybody, including their own mothers and fathers. The Roman philosopher Cicero writes that the executioners would sometimes even cut off their tongues of the, of the criminals so that the soldiers would not have to listen to the vindictive verbiage. Listen to Peter's perspective of how Jesus responded. Most of them hurled insults, right? This is what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus could have hurled insults. He could have said, you know, uh, Father, consume them. Just wipe them out. And, And to be honest with you, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, there's a little bit of justification for that because David and many people in the Psalms were always praying, you know, destroy my enemies. Don't let my enemies come up against me. And yet we have Jesus on the cross being uh, falsely accused and beaten and tortured. He knows it's out of their ignorance, and, and yet he does not ever hurl any correction, any retaliation from his tongue. Yet what did he do? Yet he went completely the opposite direction, and he, he said, Father, forgive them. You know, the whole reason for being on the cross was for you and me. I mean, sometimes I, I, I think it's impossible to really understand the impact of what that should have impacted you unless you can see that he did it for you, that it was personally for your benefit, personally to give you uh, uh, release from your debt to forgiveness of your sins. And every time the disciples prayed the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray, right? Pray like this. Your Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And then a couple verses down. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then he says... And if you can't do that, I won't forgive you. But if you do that, I will forgive you. It's as if we have to make, we have to understand what he has forgiven us in order for us to be released of it as well. Jesus has has given us this. The disciples would have remembered that and they would have thought that every time, man, I have an obligation here. When I entered into this, you know, this uh, debt forgiveness program of Jesus Christ, 
It obligated me to behave certain ways towards other people. It has, it is like a, a paved forward program, right? Jesus paid for it, and then you're, we're like, well, how, what can we do? He's just like, just pay it forward, right? Think of the most popular images of Jesus that you have that have come from the Word of God. One of them is, is like we have this good shepherd, and he has these, these sheep that he cares for. That's his job, and he's, he's, he wants to be a shepherd, and that's why he's a, a good shepherd. And one day, one of them runs away, and what is it that, that happens? This good shepherd leaves the 99, go gets that one one that wandered away and he puts it on his shoulders and then we have these pictures that are all over our churches in our homes of this good shepherd carrying a sheep to remind us that that's what that's a picture of Jesus right we have these pictures in our churches and in our homes where Jesus is standing at a door and he's knocking somebody on the inside they have to decide so whether they're going to let him in. And we have this picture. Jesus always came seeking. He's the one who initiates all of this, these images. Adam and Eve sinned against God. Therefore, they knew that they had done wrong. They knew they had committed a, a, a really terrible thing. And so they went and hid because that's what you do when you're in debt. You hide from the people who are wanting to collect, right? And who is it that came to them? It was God that came to them. You see, he wants us to be proactive. Do you remember this? We just looked at this not too long ago, too, but... In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you'll remember as we read here, it says, You have heard that it is said to those long ago, this is what Jesus is saying, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who gets angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And then I want you to look at verse 23. This is what Jesus says. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, if, if you have come to church and you're in the midst of worship and you're wanting to give back to God your praise, your, your offering, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, what does he tell you to do? Be like the good shepherd. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while, they are while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard. And you will be put... Now, in this story, who is the judge? Who are we supposed to make these connections with? It's, it's God, right? And remember, there's strings attached. Settle matters quickly with your brother unless he takes you to the judge. If he takes you to the judge and the judge sees there that you have not settled things with your brother, 
What does he say? The last verse, 26. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penalty. All of a sudden, the debt that Jesus forgave you is back on your books. He was proactive. You who have been forgiven, forgive. I want you to, I have a small homework assignment for you. And I want you to take this serious. I'm, I'm really, really sincerely meaning this. But, but for Jesus, I want you to read Matthew chapter 18 today for him. For, well, I, can, I about said for me, but I really want you to do it for him. Matthew chapter 18, would you do that? Like, like maybe when you get home and you get settled into your chair, you just pick up your Bible there and just read to just one chapter. Maybe when you get a little time today, you can just go on a little walk. I, if you just did it for just this, it would be a little walk, okay? But just get your phone and just read through Matthew chapter 18. Would, would you do that? This sermon is not by any means to diminish or reduce any pain that has been caused you. If somebody has ever hurt you or, or you have undergone pain in your life because of, at somebody else's hands, I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. I know that that pain is super real and is super, super there. <laughs> you know, it hurts. They owe you. Huge. They owe you. I know that they owe you. And, and they don't deserve for you to just wipe it clean. They don't deserve that. They don't deserve a debt freedom program from you. But what, what Jesus has got me up here saying today is that he's asking this of you. Like, you, like he's given you the power to do this. This would, without Jesus, there was zero chance that this would take place in your life, probably. Unless you go through a lot of counseling and eventually somebody gets it through to you that you're hurting yourself more than you're hurting the person that you're angry at, right? But, but Jesus has given you the power to be able to release these things. You can, you can let go of it for him. You know, if I were up here and, and, and you thought I was asking you to let go of a deep-seated pain in your life, zero chance that that happened. By the way, I wouldn't be up here doing that anyway. If I knew that somebody hurt you that I love, I love you guys. You just sign me up. I'll go with you. Let's go beat the tar out of them. I'm serious. I've said that to people as a preacher, and I meant it as a preacher, which is kind of sad, but that's, that's the mentality of your preacher. I mean, if somebody hurts somebody that is dear to me, man, I want to just go, I want to go help take care of this. It makes sense to me. It doesn't make sense what, what's their, well, how do, I don't know how to say, say this, but it makes sense to me that the uprising that's going on in our country in the sense that if I was hurt personally, or if I had somebody that I dearly cared about that was hurt personally, sign me up. Where do I go grab my brick? Okay? 
But that's, that's coming from me. I once saw a child that was literally being physically abused at a gas station here in town 15 years ago. The crazy thing is, is I still can't get that image out of my head, the screaming out of my head. I wanted so bad to do something. And so often when I think through that, I, I have regrets that I didn't do something, right? I mean, that's how injustice fuels me. I'm just trying to help you understand what I'm asking of you is not coming from me, it's coming from Jesus. Because from all of us, we know what it's like to be wounded and hurt and have somebody else hurt and how it just wants us to, to not act like Jesus did on the cross. It wants us to act like David prayed in the Psalms. Father, just annihilate him, kill him, just take care of the enemy that is coming against us kind of thing. But Jesus did not hold your sins against you. You know why? So that you would have the power to not hold sins against other people that have offended you. That's one of the reasons. That's why his prayer is the way that it is stated. Is he's, he's telling you to release it, but he's also insinuating that you have the power to do so. And where does that power come from? I have forgiven you, so therefore release it. You can be free from the need for vengeance. Because you can be just like Jesus that just gives it over to the Father and lets the Father be the judge and handle that the way that he wants to handle that. It's a win-win situation. You can let go and, and entrust it to the Father and be free of that. It's like... You no longer carry that burden. No longer can that person wound and hurt you continually. That wound is now in the past. That hurt is now in the past. It's not continuing to go on in your life. It's not going to be in your future because you were able to let go of it because of what Jesus did for you. So there's definitely that win. There's also the win that you get to be a participant in, in the uh, sanctification, the, the redemption of this world. You get to be a participant. Paul often was saying, I, 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 my, I see my suffering as if I'm suffering with Christ, is the way that he explains it. We get to be a participant in the same thing that he was participating in, and that is to forgive people that need to be forgiven. Let me tell you, I still need to be forgiven. The songs that Matthew has picked out for us to sing had a lot to do with our need for him to continue to give us grace and mercy. This all comes down to this. How much, how many love units has Jesus deposited into your bank? Because it, it, it all comes down to if he did not deposit enough love units into your bank, then what I'm asking you is not going to happen. Some people don't even have an account open for Jesus. They're just like, he doesn't get a bank here. Right? And some people put a limit on Jesus. He's only allowed to have so many transactions around here kind of thing. But not... I want, I want to take you to one more verse and then we're closing this out. In Luke chapter 
our passage. Luke chapter 7, verse 41. Luke chapter 7, verse 41. Again, he makes this comparison about money and relationships. Verse 41, he says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. 500 denarii is like a day's wage, okay? And the other uh, 50, meaning about uh, a couple months' wage. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, don't look at the answer. What do you think it is? I bet you got it too. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said, Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who, loves, who, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. How much do you think that in her life, if her life is considered a, a love bank, how many units do you suppose that Jesus deposited into her life? What if Jesus were to ask what I'm asking, what, what Jesus is asking today of you? If she was here and she was asked that, what do you think she would respond? You think she has any outstanding debt with people outside of her world? Oh my, I bet she was treated like a dog for, the, for most people in her life, right? Abuse probably was in her life, uh, the way that people treated her, but do you think that she could have released it if Jesus asked her to? Yeah, because it all had to do with how much she felt Jesus did for her. I have seen people who have let go of some of the most gigantic forms of pain in their life. I've seen people who were abused as a child be able to let that go. I have seen people who have literally have <clears throat> had somebody take the life of somebody that they care for dearly, and the wound was so deep, and yet they let it go. And I've seen just so many others, you know, people just being mistreated here or there. And they let it go. Only Jesus <clears throat> can give somebody the power to do so. Only a relationship with Jesus can give somebody the power to do so. No other. And today, as we come to this table here, and we drink of this juice that represents his blood in this, in this uh, bread that represents his body, he's going to ask this of you. Is there any relationships that is outstanding in your life? Anybody that you need to make things right with? Anybody you just need to let 
give a clean slate and let things go with? Has he deposited enough love units in your life to get you to respond in this way? Well, we're going to come to the table. Sean's going to come and lead us in that. I'm going to pray before he does. Father God, uh, we thank you so much that we have an opportunity, Father, to be guided by your Spirit, an opportunity to show you how much we love you back. We have an opportunity, Father, to um, participate along with you in your suffering. An opportunity to, to walk in a very small way where you have walked and to do it the way that you would want us to do it. Father, I just pray that your spirit would just help us connect with what we are about to do in this communion time. In Jesus' name, amen. C.S. Lewis says, Us, we must forgive ourselves, otherwise it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. I think we have to also look, flip that on its head a little bit and says, if we don't forgive others, we've set ourselves up as a higher tribunal than God. If we, because if God can forgive us, like Mike said, then we need to be able to forgive others, and we have to work at that. You know, when we, we've got a Wednesday night study group that is working through the, um, the book of Hebrews, and we've, we finished up some of it. <laughs> it takes a little bit of time for us to get through this sometimes because we, we spend a lot of time answering questions and mulling over what God has said and digging into how it affects our own lives. But one of the sections that we've just started into, we finished up chapter 10, but I want to go back uh, for that group so it'll be a little bit of a repeat. But chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have cease to be offered, since the worshipers have once, having once been cleaned would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And God set up his law that every year offerings had to be made for sin, and it was ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. Now, that didn't apply to the Gentiles, it only applied to the Jewish, the, the Jews of that time, because they were living under the old law. And the old law was perfect, but because they didn't understand it, it was imperfect. Okay? But God said, I need, the law needs to be perfect, so I need to come and fulfill it. So he sent his son to do that. And so we flip over to Galatians chapter 6, and it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too are tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so, so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. When Christ came, he said, this is on you. This is your decision to follow me or not. It's up to you whether you do this. That those annual sin offerings did not clear the conscience of the one who had sinned. There was only one way to clear the conscience of the one who sinned, and that's through Jesus Christ. So we'll jump back over to Hebrews 10, verse 8. And he says, When Christ said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When we come to the table, we remember Jesus' sacrifice and that that sacrifice was greater than all of the bulls and goats who were slain for sin and whose blood was spilt on the altars because one did it who was perfect. We can't set our own abilities, our own forgiveness capability on ourselves because then we've set that higher than, we set ourselves up to be higher than God, and that is, that's blasphemy. If we cannot forgive the way he forgave us, even to the point that he had to give his own son to make us whole, then that's what we should do. So as this time of communion reminds us, it's his sacrifice, his forgiveness, and through that forgiveness, it builds our faith. It strengthens our faith in him and in the world to come because we know that he forgave us even, as Mike said, while he was hanging on that cross in complete suffering. Come to the table. Come to the table this morning. Leave your, leave your anger and your frustrations behind. Forgive those who have sinned against you. Ask for forgiveness for the sins you've committed. That's your choice. But if you leave them and hang on to them forever, then you think you are better than God. And that, again, like I said, is blasphemy. So we need to come to this table with joyous hearts, knowing that our God sent his son to forgive us. Okay? Um, as you come, I'm going to pray here in a second, but as you come, for those of you who are new, if we have anybody new, the bread is in the um, cup on the bottom, and then the juice is in the the cup on the top. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son to forgive us, and that through his sacrifice, his spilled blood and, and body, that you showed us the true way to forgive, wholly, completely, and forever. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and Lord, we just ask that you would help us to 
Um, just forgive all of those who come across our path who need to be forgiven. And Lord, we just thank you. And it's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.